When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writer Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot, subscription service, and perfect gift for Mother's Day. Have a mom or motherly figure in your life who loves books? Give them the gift of tailored book recommendations for Mother's Day, which is coming soon. When you do, your mom can tell TBR about their reading likes and dislikes and what they're looking for, and then just sit back while their bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for them. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email. Gifts start at only $16, so there's a gift option for every budget. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests, so if mom loves thrillers, wants to read more romance, is looking for poetry by writers of color, or maybe wants some space opera, well, we've got someone who knows just what to recommend so you don't have to guess. Our bibliologist can also check your mom's Goodreads account if she has one, saving you from gifting a book that's already been read. Plus, gifts can be scheduled so you will not miss Mother's Day. Go to mytbr.co to give your mom the gift of tailored book recommendations. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 100, and we are recording on Tuesday, April 20th. I am Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Nezra! Hello, Katie. Congratulations on the 100th episode! Woo! Exciting stuff. <laughs> well, you are, I was going to say, even though you only joined on at the beginning of the year, you are part of this 100th episode celebration as well. I am super excited. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's something that I know that Rincy and I were talking about for a long time, like, oh, we're coming up on 100, we're coming up on 100, and now I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have sat in this seat 100 times <laughs> over the last almost four years That's to amazing. record this show, and it is just so, it is so surreal and so cool, and oh my gosh, I just, I just cannot believe that the show has been running for this long. Yeah, and I have been a listener for that amount of time, so uh, <laughs> I am equally thrilled to have it to have experienced both sides, and I am excited to celebrate this episode with you. Yes, and just as a general, I mean, we I know we always do a shout out to our listeners, but for those of you who have tuned in every two weeks over the years, whether you were with us from episode one or you're a more recent listener. We are so grateful to all of you for continuing to listen in. Because if no one listened in, we wouldn't have made it to 100 episodes. <laughs> so this is just, oh my gosh, this has been been such a cool experience. Like, I never would have guessed that I would have been co-hosting a book podcast about mysteries and thrillers. And then the opportunity landed in my lap with Book Riot. And it's, yeah, the word I keep coming up with is is surreal. But, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's just been so much fun. So many books have been read over the last four years. Yeah, 
like I have only been around for a few, a little while, but it has been so much fun just like tuning in, like setting up in this podcasting environment and just getting to talk about like thrillers and mysteries. And it has impacted my reading so much and just like how I look at new releases or what I think our listeners might enjoy. And it's just, it's been so much fun recording with you, Katie. Yes. It, oh my gosh. It's, it's been so much fun recording, recording with you too, Nazra. And, and it's been so much fun recording with Rincey for yes. up through, what was it? 88 episodes or 92 episodes. I can't remember yes. exactly which one was her <laughs> last one, but I guess this is, this would be a great time. Rincey, I hope you're listening to this because I know she said she was going to be listening to our future episodes after she left <laughs> as a co-host, but you deserve so much credit for helping us get here Absolutely. to episode 100. So the three of us can digitally share a collective high five. Yes. <laughs> we raised our glasses. Collective Muppet arms. <laughs> it's been yeah. fun. And I am so excited to see what the hopefully next hundred episodes bring. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to go ahead and give us our first sponsor? And then we'll jump right into the the celebrations and the... I don't know. I didn't have a good word for that second one. Why don't you give us our first sponsor? <laughs> yes. Sounds good. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored in part by Amazon Publishing. Years ago, Lieutenant Abby Mullen survived the infamous Wilcox cult. Now, working as a hostage negotiator for the NYPD, nothing phases her anymore. At least she thought. When fellow survivor Eden Fletcher comes to Abby for help finding her kidnapped son, Abby can't help but wonder why a kidnapper would target Eden. But Eden refuses to talk. She's silent about the relics of their shared past hanging on her walls, about the kidnapper's possible motives, about what's happened in the years since she and Abby parted ways. Grab a Deadly Influence, the first in the new Abby Mullen series from Mike Omer, the New York Times, Washington Post, and Amazon Charts bestselling author. Thank you to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring the show. All right. So welcome to all of our lovely listeners. We are so delighted to have you a part of the festivities today. And so like we said at the top of the show, we talk about just about everything and anything related to mystery, suspense, thrillers, true crime that fits under that umbrella. It's probably fair game and we're probably going to talk about it. So that can be movie adaptations. It can be themed reading lists. It can be read-alikes for a really popular author. It can be bonkers news items about a particular mystery author that have, that just sh showed up in the news. It can be award winners, whatever the case may be. And this is the part of the episode where we always put out a call to our listeners to send us suggestions for upcoming episodes, just because they have helped us plan a large number of the hundred episodes so far. And it's it's a really great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of or what you would be interested in. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons in ways we may not have done before. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, you can shoot us an email or reach out via social media. We're going to have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. We just always put out the call at the beginning of the episode to get those creative juices flowing. And even if you don't have an idea and just want to say hi, there's nothing we like more than hearing from our listeners and telling us what they liked about the show. And it just makes us feel so happy inside. 
So if you enjoy this podcast, you can also leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us and join our community. And with that, let's go ahead and uh, let's jump into some news. For once, we had a news item that actually broke on the day we were recording, so we didn't have to wait another two weeks to talk about it. Nazra, why don't you, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So like I mentioned in the last episode as well, I love adding stress to my reading life, you know, like <laughs> making it more competitive. And in general, just the literary award culture, I love it so much just because I love hearing what other people are thinking about it. I love how uh, people bring all these different perspectives at reading a work critically, especially the mystery and thriller genre, because it often has this tendency to be pushed away or put on the side as genre fiction and thought of being as not having as much value as let's say a piece of literary fiction which is a whole other debate we won't get into over here <laughs> but the international thriller writers have announced the finalist for this year's thriller awards and the winners will be named during the 2021 thriller fest which will be held virtually uh, from june 28th to july 10th and it will include seminars, panels, pitch fest, and a lot more. And this is a fantastic lineup. And that's especially why we wanted to mention it here, just because it complements sort of our discussion from the last episode where we discussed the Edgar Award nominees. And there's a fantastic international collection of authors from all around the world, works from all around the world. And there's also a great overlap in the categories, uh, but also there's a, uh, there's also a lot more titles that are, that are getting their share of spotlight in this one as well. And one of the things I did want to include was, I'll link this in the show notes, but uh, so Crime Reads, what Katie and I often talk about as well, like they're a great resource for mystery and thriller lovers. And so they have the nominees, the category nominees, and then at the bottom of each category, they have uh, pieces that the authors themselves have written. So like, for instance, Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby uh, was nominated for Best Hardcover Novel. And then there's a link to uh, S.A. Cosby's piece on the pain of unifying thread across crime friction so like how so there like there's fantastic pieces to complement the picks and i definitely will leave a link that in the show notes because i think our listeners will love that yeah i was just noticing that um because at first when i clicked on the link i was just scrolling through to see the books that were nominated but then i realized that, oh yeah they've, they've got different links to pieces that authors have written and that's one of the really cool things about crime reads is as a resource is that they give you really interesting book lists and stuff like that to give you reading suggestions, but they also have a lot of really interesting, thought-provoking articles about crime fiction written by the authors themselves on trends or what they see as common threads across across the history of mystery and thriller literature they have they recommend their their own favorite crime reads it's just such a great resource for anything crime related so if you haven't checked out crime reads definitely make sure to hop on there and give them a look they're a really great resource but yeah, I was I was commenting to you, Nezra, before we started recording that there is a lot of overlap with the 
like we said, with the Edgar Award nominees. But there are also several books that didn't that weren't nominated for an Edgar, but are listed here. There are several books that I'm looking at going like, I don't even know if I've heard of some of these. So I'm like, ooh, new books to discover. So and of course, that's that's always the fun part of doing this stuff is when when you come across new books you've never heard about before. Yes, absolutely. All right. So that was the major news item because we wanted to jump in and talk about our, you know, our our hundred episodes and what we were going <laughs> to do for th- for this episode. So I guess yeah, let's go ahead and and jump into that. So we teased it uh, last episode, kind of trying to find a way to you know like you know celebrate a hundred episodes, but also kind of you know. <laughs> not bridge the gap, but like, you know, we're in a unique place because we're doing 100 episodes, but Nazar is our new co-host. And so we were like, okay, so what can we do that pays tribute to all of that? And so what Nazar and I decided to do is we each came up with a list of three books that we read growing up or the book, three books that we felt made us crime and mystery and suspense readers. Like, you know, books that we read as a kid that really sparked an interest, books maybe we read as an adult that sparked an interest that maybe hadn't been there previously. But we decided that, and then, so we picked those three books, and then we gave each other the lists, and so we each read the books that the other one had picked. And I don't know about you, Nuzra, I had, like, I had a hard time coming up with some (laughs) of these, because, like... Just to kind of take it a step back, I, you know, I've always liked mystery and suspense novels, but it honestly hasn't been till been since I was asked to co-host this podcast that <laughs> I really started diving into mystery and suspense, like with with a purpose. And so a lot of the books that I liked growing up, you know, I didn't quite realize them like, oh, these fit into mystery and suspense or, you know. Like, because I also, I, I was really into horror when I was a kid and growing up. So a lot of the books that I read were horror, or there may have been like an overlap with suspense and horror as there often is. But it honestly hasn't been till I was an adult that I really, really dived into like the world of mystery and suspense. So I was having a little bit of a hard time coming up with these titles. Like, what about you? Yeah, you're so right. It, it It's a lot similar for me as well, because especially... I realized that I have a that what I've been reading all my life has been like more mystery thriller focused when I started co-hosting the episodes and just in general when I started writing pieces for Book Riot I realized huh so I read a lot of mystery books and then when we were discussing some of the picks that made us you know mystery readers or that sort of solidified that affiliation for the genre I recalled and I thought of all the books that you know I had bulk by or I would share with my cousins with my friends and they were all mystery books <laughs> and it was tough narrowing it down but at the same time it was also like a very stark glance into the lack of diversity so like a lot of books I so I would have one author and then I would read like all their books and then mm-hmm. I would have another author and then I would read all their books and I miss that kind of like, you know, ability to do that now. Uh, But also at the same time, it also is something I'm glad that has changed over the years where I, you know, try different authors, try try different cross genres. But yeah, I was having a hard time because, you know, at one point I was like, okay, should I just tell her three books from the same author? Because, you know, those are what I remember. But it was fun coming up with the list. And I I loved all the picks that you picked for me. And I'm excited to talk about them. (laughs) 
Yes. Um, and it was really interesting with the books that, that you selected for me because, I mean, all three of them are very well-known authors, but two of them I had never read before. I was familiar with them, but I had never actually read any of their stuff. So this was, it was like a big first for me. So yeah, so d- let's jump in. Do you, do you want to jump go first? You want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Go for it. <laughs> So the first pick that uh, Katie picked for me was Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. And I've I've seen the entire like Jurassic Park franchise and I'm very familiar like with just the whole phenomenon of it. But I had never ever read the book. And I was excited when Katie mentioned because this this is a you know, there's a book that's always on a distant radar and you're always like, one day maybe if I ever get through my all my books, I'll read that book. And I was excited when that sort of got bumped and it became a priority. And it's such a fun and Excellent read. So if you're unfamiliar with the story of Jurassic Park, what it follows is it's so it starts off very like in a mysterious way. There's a family, they're enjoying a vacation on the coast of Costa Rica when when, when their child gets attacked by something that looks like a lizard, but is but acts like a bird. And uh when she's taken to the hospital, the Doctors can't really figure out what happened or what caused it or how to treat it. And then it spirals into this whole chain of events where different laboratories get involved and everyone's trying to track down what it is. And then they eventually identify the species as a spe- left, like, as a species of dinosaurs that lived approximately 210 million years ago. And they can't believe it. They No one can comprehend the fact that something like that would, you know, be alive and like be unnoticed and so we have our two we have a paleontologist and paleobotanist who sort of become center of our story alan grant and ellie sattler and we also like there's a lot of mixed stories going on here so we have hammond who is this person who is building an exotic resort off like off an isolated island in costa rica then there are this law firm and like investors who are worried that that's is not working out. Then there is the paleontologist and paleobotanist who have been sort of recruited to work on that island. And then when they go, they find a surprise waiting for them. And it's just, I feel like the intersection of like science, like thriller, gore, mystery, and just a good story is so, so well done here. It was so funny when I went to get the paperback copy from the used bookstore, the uh, bookseller was like, you're lucky you found a copy because as soon as we get a copy, like it, we never have a copy that we can even hold for anyone. So it was like stroke of fate that it had come in just that morning and I, and I got it like later in that morning. And it's absolutely delightful. I, I haven't been able to finish it entirely, but I, I'm like a good three fourth way of in and it is excellent. The scientific, you always expect like scientific details are always intimidating, I feel, in a read. And they're so well explained, but also the the atmosphere and the mystery is not compromised. So it was like fantastic. So I am curious to know how, like, why do you, like, how do you attribute your mystery reading to this book? <laughs> well, just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, this is exactly why I loved Michael Crichton growing up. So Jurassic Park, I think I've mentioned this a couple times on the show before, Jurassic Park was the first 
quote-unquote adult novel I ever read. It also, I think, was one of the first PG-13 movies that I saw. Um, I didn't see, like, a lot of kids, they were like, oh yeah, I saw I saw movies I wasn't supposed to when I was, like, three. I was actually, like, 12 when I first saw Jurassic Park for the first time, but I loved it so much. Like, Jurassic Park is my favorite movie of all time. Like, it sounds basic, but it, I just love that, that movie so much. And I loved the movie so much, my parents were like, well, you need to read the book. So yeah, that was the first book that I read. And I remember, you know, I was in middle school, and I had always been a very strong reader, and i had always been able to grasp stuff. But I felt like Michael Crichton did such an amazing job of weaving in tech, like technical details and scientific facts without making the story dry. It, you know, he kept it interesting. You felt like you were learning something, but you never felt like he was talking down to you. You felt so smart when you were reading a Michael Crichton novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, that was the, the first book of his that I read. And from there, I read almost all of his stuff. Not, I haven't liked everything as much as Jurassic Park. Some of, some of his books, like, for example, Timeline, where the time travel go back to medieval times, that wasn't one of my favorites. But like some of his other books, like I loved The Andromeda Strain. I loved Sphere. He was one of my favorite authors at, in middle school, and his books have always just had such a special place in my heart. And the especially with the with the movie, there is a horror element crossover because that movie's pretty intense even though i've seen it like 30 times i'm not even kidding it's really intense i remember blaine and i got to see it when it was re-released in theaters for its 20 year anniversary in 2013 we saw it in 3d imax and we like Blaine is also an enormous Jurassic Park fan, and so that was like one of the first things we bonded over before we even started dating. <laughs> and we, when we went to see it in 3D IMAX, it was like we were seeing it again for the first time. It was just so unbelievable and so intense, and it just brought back everything that reminded me of why I loved it so much. So, and I also told Nezra, I was like, I wasn't sure how the book would hold up nowadays because i mean the book was written i think in like 1990 maybe yes yeah Yeah, as like it's old it's over 30 years old that technology is very far out of date but i think that's a testament to his to michael Crichton's skills Mm -hmm. as a as a storyteller that the technology is out of date but the story is still good Exactly. Yeah. And a funny story about the movie as well. My daughter, like she's two years old and she loves dinosaurs. She's like obsessed. Like she thinks Jordan almonds are like dinosaur eggs. Anything that has an egg shape, it's a dino egg. So the other day I was telling my husband, I was like, maybe we should watch Jurassic Park with her. And he was like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) She's only two. You know, that moment of like judgment your spouse has for you. I really felt it at that time. But like, but yeah, that movie is amazing. And uh, I did not let her watch that movie. (laughs) FYI. (laughs) But yeah, uh, before you uh, head off to our the first spec, do you want to give us her second sponsor? Yes. Also, before I give the second sponsor, I will say that my now sister-in-law was about the same age as your daughter when she saw Jurassic Park (laughs) in theaters. And when they were leaving the theater, they asked her, Corinne, what was your favorite part of the movie? And she just went, (laughs) There you go. So there you go. And Blaine and I have talked about that when we have kids. We're like, how young is too young to show them some of these movies? So don't worry. I fully understand. You will get no, no judgment from me. 
I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. So our second sponsor is also Amazon Publishing, and the book is Lies We Bury by L. Marr. Two decades ago, Marissa Moe escaped a basement prison. At 27, Marissa's moved beyond the trauma and is working under a new name as a freelance photographer. But when she accepts a job covering a string of macabre murders in Portland, all the evidence reminds her of her own abduction. And then there is the note that freezes Marissa's blood. See you soon, Missy. To determine the killer's next move, Marissa must retrieve her long-forgotten memories. But she won't be facing her fears alone. Someone is waiting for her in the dark. And you can read Lies We Bury at Amazon.com slash Lies We Bury. And this is the latest book from Elmar, who is the number one Amazon Charts bestselling author of The Missing Sister. So again, that is Lies We Bury by Elmar, and we thank Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. So yeah, so the first book I wanted to talk about that Nezra suggested to me is Moonlight Becomes You by Mary Higgins Clark. And this was one of the authors, I have never read a Mary Higgins Clark book before. I'm very familiar with her, obviously. And I I feel like, well, she she's like the queen of suspense. Like, I think someone, I think she has been given that title somewhere or yes. something similar. Yeah. And the Edgar Awards have a Mary Higgins Clark Award. Like, she is such a huge name in the mystery publishing world. But yeah, I had never read any of her books, but I knew that she was a very popular author that a lot of people say like, oh yeah, I started reading mysteries when I started reading Mary Higgins Clark, that type of thing. So Moonlight Becomes You, it's a standalone novel. Um, I think when I, I think the back of the book, uh, the book, I think I got like the original, like, hardcover like first edition copy from my library I think judging by the age of the of the book cover image and they give away like the entire plot on the inside yeah. cover so <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah they really they really hit like a lot of the points of the first half of the book so if you if you get this book don't read the back cover I'll try not to give away as many plot details in this but it takes place in Newport Rhode Island main character's name is Maggie Holloway and she is on a date with her, not really a boyfriend, but this guy that she's been seeing on and off. And he asked her to come to this family reunion. And she said, yeah, sure, fine. And what she doesn't realize is that at his family reunion, there is a, like an ex-wife of his uncles or something like that, who used to be Maggie's stepmother for five years when she was a kid. And she just loves this woman. Her name is Nuala. And she reconnects with this woman who she hasn't seen since she was a kid. And they're both just overjoyed to be in each other's lives again. And Nuala invites Maggie to come visit her in Newport, Rhode Island. And Maggie accepts. But when she arrives in Newport for her stepmother's big dinner party that she's doing. But when she arrives at her stepmother's house, she realizes that her stepmother has been murdered. And it appears like it's a robbery gone wrong. But there's just something there that she can't quite put her finger on that suggests "Mm, there's there's more to this than meets the eye. So that's all I'll give in terms of plot. When I was reading this book, I was telling Blaine as I was reading, I'm like, this feels like a soap opera in book form. You've got the wealthy, the old, old money families. You've got the big cast of characters where everyone's got a connection to everyone. Everyone's got a secret. And it's very clear why 
Mary Higgins Clark is known as the queen of suspense and why so many people are drawn to her books. Like one of the things, one of the hallmarks of her writing is that there's very little violence actually on the page, but it's not like a cozy mystery where that also happens. There's a very strong sense of suspense, of being watched, of being stalked, not sure who you can trust. And I mean, that's just such a common theme that you see nowadays, especially with uh, more modern psychological suspense, except this book doesn't really try to play mind games with you. It, you know, it keeps you guessing. This was, a, this was a much more complicated mystery than I would have expected from reading the back of the book. But yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And I think it was a good choice for me to read for my first Mary Higgins Clark book. I will say that the uh, descriptions of the women's fashions are very dated. I think the book was written originally, or was first published in the mid 90s. And like, every female character in the book is described at some point wearing like a long sleeved <laughs> silk pattern blouse and a matching long skirt. Like this was clearly the height of fashion in Mary Higgins Clark's eyes. So that was, that was actually pretty funny, <laughs> but just in terms of like the overall suspense. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, that was Moonlight Becomes You by Mary Higgins Clark, and I would love to hear the backstory behind this one for you, Nazra. Yeah, so Mary Higgins Clark, so I grew up in UAE, and we had very few books, like, we, we did not have any public libraries, uh, now they're opening up, but especially when I was growing, growing up in the 90s, we did not have any public libraries. And I used to buy the bulk of my books from Pakistan, where we used to visit our relatives, and they were the only books we uh, could find find easily. And they were like for like 25 cents, we would get the mass paperback. And my cousin and I, we would just like fill up bags of it and like spend the entire week reading all of them. And I think the reason I love hers, so the first book of hers I read was On the Street Where You Live. And in that, like the first time I ever realized, you know, like, I made my way through a mystery. So that you follow the character as she's putting the pieces together. You know how like there are all these like pins and the threads and everything's being matched and that feeling. I never forget that feeling. Like the character is like sitting down with a sandwich and she's like trying to figure out and it was all so foreign to me, but also so fascinating. And then Moonlight Becomes You, I, I know that was a read. I read twice because, and my cousin and I, we were just like obsessed with that one. Just because we were, like you said, there's like so little gore on the page, but the feel, like the suspense is so intense. Like, And her chapters are also short and like there's so many characters. It just goes by so fast. And like before you know it, especially if you, like I was mentioning that I hadn't read so many uh, authors or didn't have that much titles lined up as I do now, that I, it was just like, it was like mind opening to me, like what a book could do. So uh, like we made our way through, I think, most of her books until like the ones she started publishing like later on around after 2005 and uh, they were just like so intense like the, her books were the books that showed me the power of like a good suspense story so it was I, i'm glad i got to share it with you <laughs> <laughs> and i can check her off of authors i really should have read by this point so <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> 
Awesome. So my second pick, oh my goodness, I love this one so much as well. This is another one that I am almost done with, but I do want to paint a picture for everyone on how I read this. So this book is The Silent Scream by Diane Ho, and this is the first in the Nightmare Hall series. And so I live in San Francisco and today it's super, super windy. So we've been having like 80s, super sunshine, super hot, like for the past two weeks. And today, for some reason, it was super windy, super cold. And it was cold in a way that we did not want to turn our heat on because we were just like wondering, you know, we're going to have it turned off very soon. It was just that kind of a day where you just want to sit in a blanket and read a, you know, a good book. And this was the perfect book for that. And a thing that I loved about this is it's like that intersection of horror and mystery, which I loved in my books before. And I always seek out my uh, present reads as well. And the other thing I was, uh, when I was reading this book, I thought of was it's so like the atmosphere and the writing is so, so similar to like the Fear Street series mm-hmm. by Arl Stein. And I just feel like Arl Stein or like now this book as well, they're not given enough credit for the kind of, I wouldn't say hysteria, but just like the intensity of emotions that uh, teenagers go through. Just reflecting back on my time as as a teenager as well, which is very long ago. But (laughs) just, you know, how like how everything is such a huge deal. And like at that any given moment, what you're going through is that is like is the end of the world. Like it's there is no other situation that matters to you. And I feel like. Um, that's a great thing Arl Stein captured in his Fear Street novels. And this book also ugh, did such a fantastic job at it. And just a little bit about the book. So what happens is we follow our main character, Jess, who arrives at her off-campus dorm, which overlooks Salem University. And she's eager to begin college. She's eager to like strike life of her own. But the dorm that she moves into is old, dark, and dreary. Her room seems to have this cold draft and it's always chilly and so she's sharing that you know her experiences her initial apprehension with her fellow residents when they uh, began talking about the story about how a girl named Giselle died in Jess's room herself and everyone talks about like there's this backstory about what happened and how she died and um, it's believed that she uh, died by suicide but as like Jess is trying to fit and then there are all of these eerie happenings that happen right so like Jess is like sleeping one night and she hears this scream and like I'm not gonna go further this happens in the beginning of the book so it's not a spoiler but it they just like keep amplifying these happenings and all of these characters are introduced which start hinting at the fact that maybe Giselle uh she did not die by suicide but rather like something else happened to her like maybe she was murdered and but by who and like Jess sort of takes it upon herself to get to the bottom of it, to find some peace and to finally, she feels like she cannot have that feeling of resolution until she gets some answers. And it's just, it was, it's a, like I am, uh, the Nightmare Hall series books are often on sale on Kindle and I have like made a point to bookmark them as soon as they are, like as soon as the second book becomes like on sale, just because they're so atmospheric. And I was surprised at how well it held up because I think it was the first book was written in 1993 and it was still so much fun. And I, I was just like, I, I was bummed that I had to do anything else. Like I had to get work done. I was, I just wanted to read this book 
like and, and I'm eager to go finish it. So it's so so fantastic and like uh, yeah, it really holds up. So that's uh, the Silent Scream by Diane Ho. And so yeah, Katie, what like how did this contribute to your like suspense mystery life? Well, I mean, you well, first of all, I'm really glad to hear it's it holds <laughs> up to an extent because when I picked this book, I have I have not read any books by Diane Ho since I was like in middle school. And that was a good, you know, 10 years or so after these books were initially published. And I remember first reading them, I was in seventh grade, and my English teacher, she had these in her classroom library, and she gave one to me. And she said, why don't you read this? I think you would really enjoy it. And I was hooked from the first book. And one of my friends, he read a bunch of them too. And we would like swap the books. And we're like, did you read this one? Oh my God, I love this one. And yeah, I loved the dark gothic atmosphere. It just, it was the, it was the atmosphere and it was the suspense and it was just everything that hooked me. It was like, it was like candy. And like I said, I hadn't, I haven't read these in so long. I just remember just doing everything I could to get my hands on another Diane Ho book. I checked out so many of these from the library. I borrowed like all of the ones that my English teacher had in her classroom library. And I just that and she's an author that, you know, R.L. Stein, we all know R.L. Stein. We know the Fear Street series. We know Goosebumps. Like he's so well known still. And she was writing about the same time. This this is kind of like the golden retro age of YA paperbacks. But she's not an author that people that you hear about a mm-hmm. lot. So I, yeah, this one this one was kind of a fingers crossed one for me. I'm like, oh please don't <laughs> let this one be really stupid. So I'm I'm glad to hear that it was hitting all of the high notes for you that it did for me. Even though I read them when I was in middle school, and you are very clearly an adult. So now I, I think I'm going to have to go back and find a copy and treat myself to some nostalgia reading. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think it's perfect for that like no, nostalgia feeling, especially. And yeah, it was it was excellent. It was like I feel like it couldn't have I couldn't have read this book on a better day if I had tried. It was just everything just fell into place for it. So it, like, fortuitous. I would I would recommend it. <laughs> I I think I would, but just like you said, for nostalgia reading, and it's so quick and. Uh, the atmosphere like she she knows how to make you know how to create that atmosphere it was it was so well done (laughs) all right and then um i'm gonna try and keep my description short so we can get through all the rest of our books that we want to talk about but the second book that i read from nazar's picks was baltimore blues by laura lipman and this is the first book in the tess monahan series and this was also my first book that I had read by Laura Lippman, even though I have several of her books on my TBR. This was the first time I actually sat down and read one. So again, thank you for that, Nezra. And this one, this one surprised me that or this one ended up being a a much more uh, complex mystery than I anticipated from the first few chapters. But this is a PI series. And Tess Monahan starts off the book She is working out with her friend, Rock, who asks her, she's underemployed right now, she's looking for money, and he says, hey, I will pay you, but I'm afraid that my fiancé is up to something sketchy. And he said, you know, you used to be a reporter, can you follow her and see what she's doing? And so Tess is really, she really needs extra money. And she actually doesn't really like his fiance that much anyway. So she's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll see what's going on. 
And so she follows the woman for a while, and she thinks that she's discovered that the, that his fiance is having an affair with her boss, who is a lawyer named Michael Abramowitz. And Tess is trying to get the fiance to tell Rock what is, you know, what's going on. You need to confess to him. But right, right around that time, Abramowitz is found murdered in his office. And all of a sudden, Tess's friend Rock is the prime suspect because rumor has it that his fiance told him, yes, I was having an affair with my boss. He, and Rock got really upset and went to and went to yell at this guy. And now he's dead and Rock is in jail. And so Tess gets pulled in as kind of a pseudo PI because she was involved with this from the beginning. And so she she kind of go does her own investigation a little bit on the which is a little bit farther than Rock's lawyer wants her to do. He's like he initially brings her on and says like, okay, you know, just gather some information. I will pay you, but we really want, but we don't want you doing anything silly. Well, Tess kind of she she gets caught up in the mystery of it and trying to figure out what happened, and so she starts doing investigations that are beyond the scope of what she's been asked to do. So this is like an amateur PI series. And what I really liked about this book, what you get, this is a book where it is a really, it has a really strong sense of place. I mean, obviously it takes place in Baltimore, but you can tell that Laura Lippman knows Baltimore. Like you feel like you're there and you, and it's not just like the tourist area. You feel the grit and the, you know, the the crime that's happening there, the seedy underbelly, you really get a strong sense of that. And the mystery itself, the murder and what led to it, it is a lot more complex than I originally thought from the first few chapters. Because the, the first few chapters, the, it takes a little bit to get going just because there's a lot of, you know, setting the scene, care, you know, getting to know these characters and whatnot. But it ended up being like, I was having to flip back through my ebook and like, you know, double check <laughs> names and stuff like that. But it's a really solid, solid series. And I can definitely see how this really helped, you know, solidify Laura Lipman as the superstar author that she is today. And this is another book where I think it I think it was written in, in like the early to mid 90s. So in this case the technology really does not hold up. Like they 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 use the word database and it's two words. And like <laughs> she has to, and like she's explaining, you know, how she, like she hasn't caught on to the techno technological revolution because she doesn't own many compact discs and stuff and I'm like Oh boy. <laughs> so that part is outdated, but again, the mystery is really really solid. So if you've read some of Laura Lipman's more recent stuff and you're looking to dive into her backlist, this would be a really good pick. So again, it's the first book in the Tess Monahan series and it is Baltimore Blues. So what led you to this book? So I actually read The Sugar House, which is the fifth book in this series first. <laughs> And it does. It doesn't like. I don't think it disrupts from the story, from what I recall. But I remember reading that one, and that was my first ever character-driven story. So, like you mentioned, like you're so like spot on with how she captures a sense of place, especially like with a city like Baltimore, which I even till this date haven't seen represented in a lot of literature. That could also just be my limited lack of access to the literature, but it just. 
it was a sense of place and just the character building like it was so like i was in tess's head and just like what she was thinking how she was processing everything like the decisions that she had to make and then when i read the sugar house i actively went and sought the first book baltimore blues and uh, i was just like ever since then i have been a laura lipman like fan girl just because she introduced me to the fact that you know like yeah there is mystery and there's like like suspense happening but there's also like a character at the center like there's a human at the center of it so she i would say humanized like this whole element where like i learned that i could feel empathy when i read like genre fiction like mystery and i feel like her writing is so accessible in the way that she it's not flowery but it's also like uh it does the job but it also like does the job really well like it it fits both of those and that's one of the reasons she's i like uh, she's stuck with me so far and her one some of her latest releases like sunburn and a uh, lady in the lake they they do jet off on like other tangents and they're more historical like the uh, sunburn is more nor inspired and i haven't had a chance to read them which makes me very sad but yeah but laura lipman uh she was the one who actually taught me that you know like there's this there's a character at the center of it all and how a character can propel the story forward yeah, I can definitely, definitely see that. It there is a level, there a real level of like realism that's that's brought to this. Where something like Mary Higgins Clark, like I said, may has a has that level of like almost soap soap opera type of yes. plot that feels a little detached. No, I definitely got got that from this one. All right, so the third pick that Katie picked for me and. We're gonna, I'm gonna try and keep it short so I can let Giddy talk about her third pick as well. And this was Jade Green by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor. And she is actually, as Giddy pointed out, I couldn't find the copy of Jade Green in my library, but there were all these like coming of age uh, fiction that was available. So it seems like that's where she's more prolific in. But just the story is a little bit about. It's again, again, an intersection of horror and mystery, which I'm getting. Katie was uh, <laughs> your to go, <laughs> but it's about a 15 year old orphan and who was sent to live with her uncle in South Carolina. And her uncle only has one rule that you cannot bring anything green into the house. And Judith's uh, mother had given her a picture of her in a green silk frame. And so uh, Judith thinks to herself, what's the worst that can happen if there is one green thing in the house? Turns out a lot. So, uh, and like it might, the, the color might have the power to bring a ghost to like life. And it's, it just sounds such a fascinating, fascinating story. And this is one I unfortunately did not get to yet, but I know I'm going to read for sure. Uh, just because I am so fascinated by how authors can make use of colors and to like make a whole mystery out of that story. So if you want to join me, it is Jade Green by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my theme was definitely a intersection of mystery and horror. That one. <laughs> that one's a, a really good example of a ghost story meets a murder mystery, which is one of my favorite genre mashups. And that one, I do definitely, I definitely remember the plot, and I remember it being again very atmospheric and very creepy as like a middle schooler reading it. So I will be interested <laughs> to hear what you think um, when you get a chance to read it. And then, real quickly, Nezra's third pick for me was "Evil Under the Sun" by Agatha Christie, and 
This is, I think this, Goodread says this is number 24 in the Poirot series. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. So I think all of the Agatha Christie books I have read have been Poirot novels. This one was, was a good mystery. It's, you know, it happens exactly, you know, exactly the way as you would, um, you would expect an Agatha Christie novel to fall into place. It was not one that I guessed ahead of time. Although in these books, every time a new character comes up, I'm like, they did it. They did it. They did it. They did it. Um, But Poirot is taking a vacation at this little seaside resort on the coast of England. And there is a, a former starlet there who is drawing the eye of a lot of the men who who are also vacationing there and then she turns up murdered on the or at the resort and wouldn't you know it Poirot's there and he can help figure out who done it so it was a, it was a very enjoyable mystery and it's you know it it honestly I don't know that I was even familiar with that specific title from Agatha Christie like you think Murder on the Orient Express or you know like all of these other really famous you know really famous titles but I was not familiar with Evil Under the Sun so if you're looking for an Agatha Christie novel that maybe has escaped your notice this one this one was really good yeah Agatha Christie again was another author that we had very much like a lot of access to and I just loved I don't think she accomplishes this in all of her novels, but in a lot of her reads like this, uh, like Evil Under the Sun, Death on the Nile, like the sense of place with the mystery. And of course, like it's always like a blend of mystery and comedy of errors with her yes. that I love so much. That, that I think that's that was my go-to, like where I loved good dialogue, good characters. And then there was like this, always this mystery. So yeah, all of I, I would recommend all of Agatha Christie. <laughs> Whew, all right, that was a lot of reading that we did <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. So yeah, so hopefully that some of the some of these titles might inspire you to pick up some of the books that that you enjoyed when you were younger that made you into mystery readers. If you want to try out any of the books that we talked about, go for it. There's, I think we've got a good blend of you know really solid story and really fun nostalgia and really bad '90s fashion choices. <laughs> yep. All right, so we are very quickly coming up on the end of the show. So I'm we're going to just jump into new releases super, super fast. We've got a couple that we wanted to highlight. The first one that I wanted to mention is out today on April 20th. It is a young adult historical mystery novel called The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her, which takes place in... Uh, what is now known as Korea, in the year 1426. I had to double check to make sure that was not a typo. It is not. And Hwani's family has never been the same since she and her younger sister went missing and were later found unconscious in the forest near a gruesome crime scene. Years later, Hwani's father, Detective Min, learns that 13 girls have recently disappeared from the same forest that nearly stole his daughter. So he travels to their hometown on the island of Jeju to investigate only to vanish as well. So Juani is determined to find her father and solve the case that tore their family apart. So she returns home to pick up the trail. And as she digs into the secrets of the small village and collides with her now estranged sister, Hawani comes to realize that the answer could lie within her own buried memories of what happened in the forest all those years ago. So if you're looking for a historical mystery or a historical fiction novel that takes place during a time period that you don't really read much about, definitely pick this one up. That is The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her, and it comes out today on April 20th. 
And my pick is one that I also mentioned in our dial, uh, in our uh, most anticipated releases for 2021. So I'm just going to talk very shortly about it. And it's Dial A for Aunties by Jess Q. Sutanto. And this comes out April 27th. So you still have some time to mark your calendars and pre-order it. And it tells us of Madeline Chan, who ends up accidentally killing her blind date. And so she calls her meddlesome mother to help her get rid of the body. But what her mother does is she enlists the help of Madeline's even more meddlesome aunties. And they realize that it's really hard to get rid of a dead body. And especially when they have inadvertently shipped that in a cake cooler to the over-the-top billionaire wedding Maddie, her ma, and aunties are working on. So as you can as you can expect, shenanigans ensues, and things go from like inconvenient to downright torturous. With Maddie's great college love and biggest heartbreak makes a surprise appearance amid the wedding chaos, and it's just is it like is it even possible to escape murder charges, charm your ex back into your life, and pull off a stunning wedding all in one weekend? And this book gives you the answer if it is not or possible or not. So again, that's Dial A for Aunties by Jess Q. Sutanto out April 27th. Yeah, I'm not usually one for cozy mysteries, but this one just sounds so <laughs> over the top ridiculous that I have to read it. Yes, it, I, I was uh, fortunate to get an e-galley for it and it is excellent. It is so, I would 100% recommend it. It's hilarious. <laughs> All right. And well, this is where we usually talk about our recent reads, but I don't know about you, Nezra. I've I've kind of feel like I've done a little bit of a reading marathon the last few days. I haven't really <laughs> started or finished anything other than the books I just talked about. Uh, it's the same with me. I have been, I know I mentioned this to you, Katie, but uh, so uh, I have been observing Ramadan and it's just been, my internal clock has been completely upside down. So I've just been reading the books that I've mentioned in this show, and like I hopefully am aiming to pick up Jade Green as well. But that's pretty much what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, and that one's super short too. So yes. like that—that's like a two-hour read at max. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so all right, well, here's to a hundred episodes, and hopefully a hundred more. Yes, hair is raising our imaginary glasses to each other. <laughs> Clink. <laughs> And that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thanks so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Singh, for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookride.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookride.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookride.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at redordead at bookride.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>